Welcome to Whores Talk Horror. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. I'm Melinda. And today we are actually going to switch things up from a hodgepodge episode. We are going to be talking about the disappearance of Brandon Lawson, which is... Swanson. Oh, nope. Swanson. I was reading directly off of my screen. <laughs> that will be uh, the episode the week after this week. Uh, but today we are going to be talking about the disappearance of Brandon Swanson. Uh, before we get into that, Mindy, yes. give you some homework assignments Yes, from last week. I gave you some shows to watch. Have you watched any of the shows that I told you to put on your list? Um, my cat ate the homework assignments. So, um, (laughs) oldest excuse in the book. I totally actually forgot about the comedy specials and everything. And it did occur to me like this week. Oh yeah. What was I supposed to do? And then I got distracted, but I have seen forensic files too. Some of it, a few episodes. All right. So what are your feelings on the new forensic files episodes? And specifically, what do you think of Bill Camp as the narrator? kind of exactly what you said um (laughs) I I initially the first episode I watched I was a little kind of like but um like with his voice being different you know than what you're used to but you're right like you get over it really at least I felt like I got over it really quick and by like the second Mm -hmm. episode I was I didn't even notice also it's funny because like I'm not as big of a fan that I even know like his name or his predecessor's name but I would have still probably noticed the difference in voice like regardless but I really like how the new with new technology they're working in the new things they can do which I think you had mentioned this too so I agree Mm -hmm. with you completely but it's been really cool to to see the old episodes which are constantly run on I want to say HLN and then the new episodes that show the newer technology and it's really amazing to see the difference in what they can do and find so I've been enjoying I'm going to watch more obviously um, but I watched only like three or four episodes so far, but I, I enjoyed them. And yeah, I forgot about the whole voice situation, like once the second episode started. And I'm sure they're barely into the first uh, season of the the new, I guess, resurrection of Forensic Files. So there's a lot more to look forward to. I'm excited to see what, what else they uh, talk about, what new advances there are. And I'm curious to see if there's any older cases that they might even go back and relook at, not necessarily even oh, from the show, point. but just like in general, but even from the old forensic files, that would be really interesting to see. Good point. Yeah, because I'm sure there's a ton of cold cases that uh, they're kind of, you know, literally on ice or wherever they keep the evidence <laughs> that they're just waiting for new technological advances to come out. To be like, once this has been established, we can go back and help solve these cases. Just like the Golden State Killer. I mean, it had been exactly sitting on ice for how many years? And then, yeah, with the new DNA advances, that's how they found him. So I'm kind of psyched to see what's going to happen with the new forensic files. But yeah, it might, for those of you who have not seen it yet, you might be thrown a little initially, but you'll get over it. It's worth it. So nothing else worth talking about that you've been watching? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um no. Yeah, we've actually just been binging um Brooklyn 99. 
you know, we're we're really keeping up with the times here. What, when did that show come out? Like 2013. Yeah. And we just started watching it. One of my coworkers just started watching it and she's she loves it. But I that's on my list. That's the thing is I I feel like I'm trapping myself because I don't want to move on to new stuff because I keep thinking I've got all this other stuff I have to catch up on. And then I end up just like watching random true crime bs shows or or ghost hunting shows or something stupid (laughs) i gotta get my time organized better no i get it and i want to watch that stuff too but there's just been more and more moments lately where i'm just like i just need to watch some like mindless comedy not that this is like a mindless show i mean it's it's really really good it's just really like ridiculous silly humor but with you know some heart and whatever all that fucking shit <laughs> I'm into it. I get it. <laughs> and Andy Samberg is pretty hilarious. Yeah, he is. And I still wish that his character on Parks and Rec would have come back once or twice because uh, I thought he was hilarious. I'll have to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think it's in my Hulu queue or favorites or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what we've been watching it on. All right. So let's get down to business. So Mindy, you are going to be talking about the disappearance of Brandon Swanson. Yes. And we just want to say thank you to Steve Brat. Hopefully I pronounced your last name correctly. You uh, wrote us and said that you had uh, a few favorite cold cases and neither Mindy or I have ever heard of these cases before. So these are brand new to us. I honestly don't know anything about the disappearance of Brandon Swanson. So Mindy is going to enlighten me right now. Um, But thanks for sending in your suggestions to us. So Mindy, do you want to uh, delve into the disappearance of Brandon Swanson? So before I get started, uh, here are the sources that I used to look up information. I guess the word for that would be research (laughs) this story. There's the ever faithful Wikipedia. They have a whole section on the disappearance of Brandon Swanson. The Marshall Independent, a 10 years later follow-up article, uh, but they wrote an article in 2018, Brandon Swanson case still unsolved. I found the charityproject.org still has a page up because this is an unsolved case and Brandon is technically still missing. Um, They have an, they have age progression images posted. So we'll post that link as well because Brandon is older than he was (laughs) when this case first started when he went missing. So we want to make sure we have those up and and visible. Uh, CNN's truecrimefiles.com on Brandon Swanson's disappearance. Uh, There was a post from January 2019 on the Disappearances, Crimes, and Mysteries Facebook page about Brandon being missing. And then the following podcasts provided loads of info. Uh, Criminal Prince podcast, the episode Brandon Swanson Missing in Minnesota, which is dated June 2nd, 2019. The episode Going West True Crime Podcast from their uh, December 31st, 2018 episode called Brandon Swanson. And the Missing Mara Murray podcast, uh, which aired the episode on Brandon aired on August 22nd, 2019. Uh, The episode was Disappearances Where Cars Were Left. So all to all of those sources, thank you. And now this is the gist of what happened in the case of Brandon Swanson. Uh, Shortly after midnight on May 14th, 2008, Brandon Swanson, 
who was born January 30th, 1989 of Marshall, Minnesota, Minnesota. Hang on. Let me take a drink. (laughs) No, I think that's right, Mindy. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's what people from Minnesota call (laughs) Minnesota. Correction. He was, he's from Marshall, Minnesota. (laughs) Um, On May 14th, 2008, Brandon drove his car into a ditch on his way home from celebrating the end of the spring semester with fellow students from Minnesota West Community and Technical College's Canby campus. And I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, That's how I've heard it, but I could be wrong. So please correct me if anyone knows better. Um, uninjured, he got out of his car and called his parents on his cell phone. Unsure of his exact location, he told them he believed he was near Lind, Minnesota. That's spelled L-Y-N-D. And they drove. his parents drove to pick him up. However, they were unable to locate him. Swanson remained on the phone with his parents until he abruptly ended the call 45 minutes later after exclaiming, oh, shit, he has not been seen or heard from since. Uh, yeah in the morning his parents reported swanson missing to police who get this advised them to wait as such behavior was not uncommon for young men his age his mother annette said that one of the lind police officers claimed it was quote brandon's right to be missing why is that always the first reaction it seems like unless you're missing for 24 hours it doesn't seem like people take Take it very seriously, especially, you know, if if the parents, family, friends are saying this is very unlikely, this is extremely out of character for my son, my daughter, who whomever, I don't understand why it's not taking more seriously by law enforcement, it, especially in this situation where you're right. on a they were on a 45 minute call and then all of a sudden he said oh shit and the phone went dead is that right what happened that is what happened and i'm glad you brought that up put a pin in that thought because we are going to circle back to that later but yeah it's total bullshit absolutely that's like what my notes actually literally says it's quote it's total bullshit <laughs> But yeah, especially if you were talking you're right if you're talking to them and then you heard something strange happen Just for the record, for anybody, if I'm ever communicating with you and then seem to communicate something or or I'm on the phone with you and say, oh, shit, and the line goes dead, don't wait. Just call the cops and tell them to to suck it and try and find me. And I'm sorry, (laughs) Um, who who said the phrase, it's their right to be missing? The police officers at the Lind, L-Y-N-D is how that's spelled again, uh, the Lind, Minnesota Police Department, which is um, where his parents went to report him because that's where... Brandon had communicated he thought he might have been around at the time that his car went off the road. So they were the closest jurisdiction, essentially. So that's where his folks went. And that's what they told him. So after they had that lovely interaction with the police uh, later that day, the circumstances of his disappearance became more complicated when his cell phone records showed that he had been near Porter, Minnesota, which is 25 miles from where Brandon had said he was in a different direction. Um, That information led to the discovery of his car near Taunton, Minnesota. So it's not known whether Swanson was unaware of this discrepancy when he talked to his parents. Uh, Foul play was not 
or has not, I guess, been ruled out, but it has also been proposed that he might have accidentally fallen into the Yellow Medicine River near where his car was found and drowned, although extensive searches have not found a body. Land searches with dogs have continued into the area for actually several years after his he disappeared. His parents and I'll get into this more later, but his parents successfully lobbied the state legislature to pass Brandon's law, which requires that police begin investigations of missing adults promptly. And so we will discuss that a little bit further in, but let's break it down. So wait, before you, before we start breaking it down, yeah. so basically... When he called his parents, he said he was around Lynn, Minnesota, but the last place that his cell phone was pinged at was at 25, you said 25 miles or 25 minutes? Miles. Away. So 25 miles away. Is there... Porter, Minnesota is where the phone records show he was, that was the tower that he was hitting, I guess, which is 25 miles from where, from Lind. In a different direction. Okay. Yeah. So is there a possibility, and you might get to this later, but I'm just... Yeah, you know, I know. Yeah. S- since you're bringing it up and it's fresh in my mind, um, is there a possibility that he was by Lind, but someone took his phone and that's where it was last, like, pinged at, was in that area? I don't think so, because the last call was the one with his parents. So that's what they were tracking. Oh, okay. So it was actually the call that was tracked. It wasn't just the location of a cell phone. It was right. the call specifically that was tracked in that area. Okay, that, gotcha. that, that was the last communication that was on that they could find. Period on his cell phone. So okay. yeah, yeah. But it's a good question. Thank you. Continue. So. Uh, Brandon Swanson graduated from Marshall High School in 2007. Uh, May 13th, 2008 is when classes finished at Minnesota West Community College and Technical College, where Brandon was attending school. The night of, so May, May 13th was the last day of classes, and then early, like midnight, 1 a.m.-ish on May 14th is when he had spoken to his parents. So that's why the dates, it fluctuates between the 13th and the 14th, because we're talking like the midnight hour. So May 13th, 2008 was when classes ended at uh, Brandon's college. And as many do, when their finals are over, there were many parties happening in and around the area. Brandon was known to have attended a party in Lind, Minnesota, um, technically around like the 9.30 p.m., hour of May 13th. Uh, folks that were there that saw him there said that they saw him have one beer and that's it. And then he left around 10.30 p.m. Said he and he said he was going to another small party in the area. Um, the second party he attended was in Camby, Minnesota, um, which was that other town that I mentioned earlier. Um, he left roughly around midnight to go home to Marshall, Minnesota, and reported Reportedly had only one shot of whiskey, but did not seem overly intoxicated, which was a sentiment that Brian Swanson, Brandon's dad, recalls in talking to him. Um, He had said that, you know, he didn't seem on the phone disorientated or confused or slurring his words or anything like that when they had been speaking on the phone. So it doesn't sound my point is that it doesn't sound like Brandon was drunk or anything when he left to go home for Marshall. And that's important, I think, because yes. it kind of goes against what the cops say about 
um, you know, him just deciding to uh, go missing on his own or whatever, because that's something that you would do probably in an inebriated state when you, right. you weren't thinking clearly. He sounded like he was in a um, a completely almost sober state of mind and, and had all his faculties and, and knew what he was doing. He yes. wouldn't just randomly wander off on his own. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, everyone that had been talked to and had seen him reported exactly that. Like maybe they saw him with one beer. He did like one whiskey shot with a friend, but was everyone reported that he was, he wasn't stumbling, you know, he was seemed coherent and and sober and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that Mm -hmm. is important to remember in the wee hours of May 14th, 2008. So essentially later that night uh, from when Brandon was at, you know, visiting with friends and such highway. So I'm not from Minnesota. I don't really have, I looked at maps. You're not. (laughs) This is news to me. But I don't obviously have a full concept of area and location. So this is all based on what I read that was reported. So hopefully this is accurate, but I don't really have like a sense of direction in terms of how this plays out in real life. But to give those of you who do an idea, Um, Highway 68 is a two-lane highway that runs directly from Canby, which is where the party, the second party was that Brandon was seen at, to Marshall, Minnesota, which is where Brandon lives. So it's a straight shot, essentially, if you hop on Highway 68 from that party in Canby to his house. Brandon apparently did not take Highway 68, but it seems that he took gravel roads northeast to the highway to get home. So basically, he took side roads home. The gravel roads, it's important to note, do not run parallel to the highway. So I could see how he very well could have gotten turned around. The speculation is that he may have been concerned having had a drink or two and being slightly underage, but that's speculation as to why he would have taken side roads. But I don't know. Anyway, around 1.15 a.m. is when the, his his car is estimated to have gotten high centered on a gravel road and stuck. So like he ended up on ground where the wheels were off the ground, but like the body of the car wasn't. So he couldn't mm-hmm. move it in and out. Yeah, I hadn't heard that phrase before, so I needed that confirmation. No, because we don't really we don't really have that problem driving around streets in Chicago. This is true. This is true. So around 1.54 a.m., Brandon called his friend, his folks, excuse me, for help, his parents. He claimed to be stuck between the towns of Marshall and Lind, which makes sense because that's essentially was his initial starting point and where he was headed. Um, he said he was on the left side of the road off Highway 23 There's a possibility, again, I'm going off of sources who know the area better, but there's a possibility he was confusing Highway 68, which is the straight shot that I talked about with Highway 23. We don't we don't really know. Um, Around 217 a.m., Brandon's parents arrived where Brandon claimed that he was. Brandon was still on the phone with them, and both his mom and dad and Brandon were flashing their lights in their respective areas, wherever they were, saying, do you see me? Clearly, they didn't, as they were in two separate locations. 
I guess Brandon got frustrated and said to his mom, don't you see me? And then hung up because he was angry because they kept saying like, where are you? We don't see you, blah, blah, blah. His mom called him back. They made up and then they admitted that they are just really frustrated trying to find him. And then Brandon told his mom that he could see Lynn's town lights. So he was thinking still that he was near Lind, which was and he, thinking that he could see their their lights in the distance. So at two twenty three a.m., Brandon talked to his dad Brian and claimed that he was walking along a gravel road away from Marshall towards those lights of what he thought was Lind. He says he'll cut through some fields that were close by to get to the town lights quicker, and he was in mostly an agricultural area. Uh, giving his dad a play-by-play, he said that he saw two fence lines near him and heard running water near him. They talked for 47 minutes, and then at 3.10 a.m., Brian, the dad, heard Brandon say, oh, shit. Dad said that it sounded like Brandon might have tripped. Uh, the phone cut out after the oh, shit, so dad tried calling calling Brandon back repeatedly and the phone just rang and rang without anyone picking up. And then later in the day of May 14th, so like when daylight's out, like noon or 1 p.m. or so, is when the call started going straight to voicemail as opposed to ringing. So they're assuming either the phone died or what, whatever. So at 6.30 a.m. on the morning of May 14th, after his parents had been trying to find him unsuccessfully, they contacted the Lind County Sheriff's Office to report him missing. And that's when the cops told them to wait a while since he was over 18. They needed to wait 24 hours technically. Um, And they did eventually get his cell phone data, which showed that Brandon was actually 25 miles away from where he thought he was and told his parents he was so that's frustrating i can't even imagine what his parents must have felt Mm -hmm. um just to know you're like fruitlessly searching in an area that it didn't even matter around 12 30 p.m later on the i'm sorry yeah look just so when um just to get this straight it's a lot it's kind that's why i did the timeline because i was like yeah what So I'm trying to follow. So his parents went to the location where he said he was at. Where he said he was. Yes. Yeah. And so mom and dad and Brandon, they're flashing their lights, but both of them, neither of them saw lights flashing from the other car. Correct. Right. Which is why Brandon initially hung up on his mom and said, don't you see me and got mad because, you know, he was probably thinking, oh, my God, my parents are not paying attention. And his parents, who knows what they were thinking, but they, yeah, they couldn't, they weren't in the same location, clearly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So after tracking his cell phone data, around 12.30 p.m. on the 14th, deputies did find Brandon's car one mile north of that Highway 68, the straight shot highway. The car was hung up as suspected, meaning that the wheels were too high off the ground to get traction. There was no evidence of damage to the car or signs of a struggle. There were also no tracks or signs of anyone leaving or approaching. So is this where they found his car? Was this closer to Lind or was this closer to where his cell phone? This was closer to where the cell phone pinged. So this was the the 25 miles away from where he said he was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So May 15th is when they're showing that the final call routed through a tower 
at County Routes 3 and 10, which is again near that spot on Highway 68. So basically the call, his last call to his parents was made within a five mile radius of this cell tower, but which is still 25 miles away from where he thought he was. There wasn't really a town in the area that he could have seen lights for. Because remember, Brandon thought he was seeing the Lindtown lights and was going to head that way. There was, mm-hmm. however, um, a grain elevator because it was a rural agricultural area that they were in. There was a red light on top of a grain elevator that could be seen from where his car was found. And so the speculation was, is this the light that Brandon possibly mistook for like a tavern or Lindstown lights? Mm, okay. So now this brings us to the search because clearly now the cops are convinced that there's something up. So now they're going to search um, land, water with gates, actually, which I don't again, we have like Michigan, but like they employed gates in the uh local river to see if they can like catch anything as it flows through. Um and that like was the cops put the gates there or the cops. There was- yeah, the search efforts. And that was the yellow medicine river again, just as a recap for myself and for everybody else. But yeah, they, they, I guess put gates down in the water so that as the water flows, huh. they can try and grab something. I, yeah. I, like a sieve. Yeah. That makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. So um, they employed the water searches with these gates land searches using horses all-terrain vehicles uh they did air searches and then used search dogs of course um one dog did pick up a scent and followed a trail that went down a few gravel roads and then up to a driveway of an abandoned farmhouse then north along the yellow medicine river Um, Because Brandon did mention to his dad that he was going to try and cut through the fields he saw around him to get closer to the city or town or whatever. Um, The search dogs did, when they followed this trail to the Yellow Medicine River, the search dogs did jump into the river, but then jumped back out and continued trekking along the river. So folks thought maybe he didn't necessarily drowned in the following months the dogs did continue to pick up the scent of human remains but harvest time had come and gone animals had been killed in farming equipment and killed just in like roadside accidents whatever so that could have been giving off of smell all in all 122 square miles were searched in total so Oddly, so it's weird that the search dogs did pick up on something, but it seems like they picked up on it going to the river, but then out of the river again. So that's why folks didn't really think maybe he drowned, but no one really knows. And there was no footprints anywhere. Well, and that's what I find to be really weird is, yeah, when they found it, supposedly when they found his car, there were no footprints coming or going from what they could tell so interesting which i feel like if you're in a rural area you know how are you how is that even possible even if he just stumbled out and was walking around on his own i don't see how that's possible but that's just my own editorial edition Mm -hmm. i guess um here's some things to note um brandon was partially blind in his left eye and had to wear really thick like you know the um what do they call bottle glasses thank you yes yes so um since the the dogs did follow a scent that led up 
like a driveway of an abandoned farmhouse. One idea was, could he have wandered onto a farm or a field and been shot by a farmer who mistook him for a trespasser at 3 a.m. and then covered it up? Mm -hmm. We don't really know. Um, Did they ever investigate that farm? Well, they did. And you're going to get to that. that, But well, they, they did search, but they've been searching. The search went on for a long time after he was gone. And the problem is that the neighborhood farms were actually really like willing to let people come and search their areas and search their crops and all that kind of stuff on foot. But then harvest season was came in the fall because he was, he's obviously still missing today. So like this happened in May come the following, you know, August, September, October was harvest season. And that's when the local farms and, and whatnot got a little touchy about people going through their crops because they were trying to actually cultivate at that time. So between when he went missing and then when searches could resume with any sort of visibility into high forested or high agricultural areas, there had been crops that had come and gone and had been sheared or whatnot. So that's the thing is there could have been evidence that could have been somehow sheared (laughs) or, or just gone missing. You got to harvest to make your money and sell your crops, right? So no, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. And but I'd also still. be like, I don't want any randos stealing my corn as they go through my crops or whatever. <laughs> Is that an ear of corn in your pants? Or are you just hey. happy to see me? Hey. All right. Sorry. That's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> the other main obvious idea was that he had fallen in the river and drowned. But they, the river was reportedly searched fairly thoroughly and then they used that gating method and no body or paraphernalia like you know no clothing you know nothing was ever found question yeah how if, if you have the answer um how long after he disappeared did they put gates in the river and how raging <laughs> was this river what was like the 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 flow of like the the water through was that? it a heavy flow or a light flow? <laughs> Um, it seemed from what I could tell, cause again, I don't know, I've never been there, but, um, I, from what I could tell, it wasn't crazy heavy, but enough that there was a possibility that like, if he had fallen in, he could be down river. So I say medium probably is what I could, what I could ascertain from locals and their testimony. Um, but they put the, they did the gating right away. Like the search party initiated like the 15th or so. So they did get on it. And at that recent time, they started the gating right away and found nothing, no evidence of a body. And did they put the gates far enough down the river to where if he did get carried away? Because it seems like the body could have gone way further down the river than where they put the gates. Like the I suspect that they probably did the math of like what the river was like at the time, how fast it was going, how far he could have gone and figured out how many miles he would have gone in that many of hours. You would hope. Yeah, I would hope. I just just had to ask those questions because I'm I'm putting my detective cap on. and Yeah, and that does seem to be the case. Um, I didn't find a specific article on the gating process, but no, it did sound like they took it seriously and they did all of the things that Spencer just mentioned. In fact... There's a current team actually working on the case as recent as 2018. They've still been working and still have the case open, uh, though it is a cold case. But um, given the sprawling rural area, I do have a comment, which I'm going to paraphrase, but a comment from 
the current team working on the case as of 2018, um, they were basically saying that given the scope of those surrounding rural areas, there's really no telling where he could have stumbled off to at this point, especially if he was lost on foot and at night. So it's kind of like at this point, a basically a needle in a haystack situation. But from what I could tell, it just sounds to me, and again, I'm editorializing, I'm not from Minnesota, I don't know the area, but it just sounds like how far could he possibly have gotten in that short amount of time that they didn't find any evidence at all of him. Yeah, It's just weird because it's literally like off the face of the earth, he's just gone. Aliens. I mean, he he was partially blind and I mean, he doesn't sound like he was inebriated, but he could have been depending on what his tolerance was even even like a beer and a shot if if he's not used to drinking you, you don't know that could have yeah depending on what his alcohol tolerance was that could have affected his judgment on top of the fact that he was partially blind and had to wear very thick glasses so yeah but the exactly what you're saying being in a rural area you know you would think wherever his his car was if it was on some sort of a, a, a mound where his tires left the ground there would be dirt around and there would be some yeah. evidence of, of foot prints in the in the ground walking away from his car and yeah that's the ugh. part that gets me the most is like if nothing else I would imagine that obviously he exited the car so I would feel like you should at least see like sneaker prints or shoe prints or whatever outside of his car unless there was like a rainstorm or something that happened in between when they started searching and when he disappeared that maybe got rid of some of that right but it it doesn't sound like that's the case so that's why it's just bizarre and i mean i could Mm. see i guess if he stumbled stumbled off into somebody's cornfields and then they shot him which was one of the theories thinking that he was a trespasser but like even if that happened Again, they had search dogs that did find a scent and picked up a trail, mm-hmm. but then kind of led in random directions. So I don't have a conclusion to this. Like, it's actually left me kind of un- unfulfilled because I don't, even in terms of my opinion as to what happened, I honestly don't have one. Like, I have no idea. Okay. It's just weird. Um, And that's kind of where it left off was that there were still lovely people that wanted to volunteer and look for him. I mean, they're still looking, essentially. But that those are the limited facts that we have. Um, Just some sweet little things Um, The the local sheriff in the area where his car was found. And I'm going to butcher this, but his last is Sheriff Viznicki. I did not. I know I didn't say that right. I apologize. But he was so confounded by this that he continued to walk the two miles of the Yellow Medicine River in the area where he was where Brandon was suspected to have have gone missing or at least been close to for every day for 30 days after Brandon was reported missing. Wow. And to, to this day, the Swansons leave their porch light on every night as a symbol of their hope that he will eventually return or be found. Aww. I know. I know. That destroyed me. So really quick, I have to say, um, if anybody somehow is listening to this and knows anything or has tips or any information that they can relate, um, the Lincoln County Sheriff Department is who's now handling this case, and their number is 507 607- Six nine four one six six four. If you know anything, please call and report what you know. 
So let's get back to that whole he's technically adult an adult. He has no right. He has a right to go missing, even though it sounds really shady what happened on the phone. Let's get back to that part. Um, because that is worth mentioning. And this is from Wikipedia, actually. Uh, after the searches started, Annette Swanson, who's Brandon's mother, was still struck by the initial response of the Lind police that her son had, quote, a right to be missing when she told him how old he was. She said, quote, I'm his mother and I knew something was horribly wrong. She and Brian, her husband, began lobbying for changes in state law that would require an investigation into the case of a missing adult to begin as soon as it was reported much as was already required in cases of possibly abducted children. Annette met with Marty Seifert, I'm going with, hopefully that's, I'm saying that right, uh, the minority leader of the state House of Representatives at that time, whose district included Marshall. She met him in a local restaurant, and the two talked about the problems she had experienced with the police when she reported her son missing, uh, quote, she knew it wouldn't help in her son's case, but that it could help others in the future. Seifert recalled in 2015, next to which I commented, go mama. <laughs> uh, Seifert introduced a bill called Brandon's Law that would make the required change by amending the law governing the state's existing missing child program to change the word child to person. He recalled considerable resistance at first from the state's law enforcement community as it was developed in committee. Quote, part of it had to do with privacy, especially regarding cell phones, he told the Marshall Independent. Technology was emerging then, so there were discussions about privacy and when they can ping you and when they can't. Dennis Fredrickson introduced a companion bill in the state Senate after it was passed in both houses, this house unanimously, I might add, in May 2009, Governor Tim Pawlenty, again, I apologize for any mispronunciations, signed this into law with the Swansons and their, their surviving daughter, Jamie, in attendance at the ceremony. The effect of the change also required that police, in addition to determining their preliminary investigation that the reported person is indeed missing determine whether that person is potentially in dangerous circumstances so i would just like to point out that that means that until that point cops weren't it sounds like really taking that into consideration which we sort of have proof of based on brandon's mom's you know which she reported the reaction of the police were so uh -huh. if you weren't a kid and you just went missing they weren't really thinking about what were the circumstances in their disappearance. Is this dangerous? Is this potentially dangerous to the missing person? Or did they just decide to go, you know, but they weren't even considering go that off without telling any of their friends, their families, leave their jobs, leave their homes, leave all their personal possessions. Right. Exactly. And I don't know if I go missing, I want the cops to think, is this potentially dangerous to her? Like, yes. <laughs> Someone saying, Oh shit. And then like their phone, shutting off is kind of fishy and I would want cops to look for me like ASAP if that happened to me and the fact that they weren't even considering that until these parents had to push for it is insane to me I, everyone knows how important it is that if you don't find someone within the first 48 hours that right you you may never find them and that is the the most critical 
time to gather evidence and to start the investigation. So without that, you know, by prolonging that period just because of a certain age that the person is really makes no sense. You know, there's so many things to consider Mm -hmm. when a person goes missing that I think regardless of age, every case should be taken seriously. And I understand that our police force is completely overwhelmed with cases and there's, there's not enough police force to give a hundred percent to every missing person's case or every case in general. Obviously everyone wants their cases to be taken seriously and to be um, investigated right away, but that's not humanly possible. There's also, and there's more to Brandon's law that, that was put into effect that might help speak to some of this, Mm -hmm. but the other uh, parts that of the law that that went into effect. I know that this has been the case with other missing person cases where it seems like sometimes law enforcement, like it depends, like like their agents. Sorry, I know I said like a bunch of times right there. That's all right. Everyone take a drink. Yeah, actually, I do want to take a drink. A whole bunch of them. <laughs> um, but I know that there's also like with uh, the Golden State Killer, there were always issues between like which agency does this belong to? Like cops get really territorial and tend to and with Ted Bundy like they would that was one of the problems where like different counties didn't talk to each other whereas they do more now but but that's still a huge issue though right and so part of Brandon's law also stipulates that uh, police need to notify other nearby law enforcement agencies promptly when they have a missing person case that comes up another Part of Brandon's law also clarifies that the agency taking the report is the lead agency investigating the case. The absence of that distinction had created some problems in the later phases of the initial search when three different counties were involved. So police were no longer allowed to refuse a report based on an initial belief that no criminal activity was involved, the brevity of the interval since the person was last seen, the possibility that the person may have intentionally disappeared, or the lack of a relationship between the missing person and the reporter. So basically, it's like forcing cops to to do what they have to do. Um, While I said earlier that the let me scroll that. So, yes, the Lincoln County Sheriff's Department is is sort of in charge at this point of what's left of, of Brandon's case. Um, but as of 2010, the Minnesota Bur- Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, which is also known as BCA, they took over as a lead agency on the case. So it's sort of gone to higher powers, but it's still local. Um, but honestly, that's about it. Like, they really don't have any more information or any more info or data people still search the area even at this point just for sadly like possible remains or a shred of clothing or something it's just creepy to me that he was there and then he wasn't and that's Mm -hmm. kind of how it goes like he you know even if he was you know, he got turned around on side roads or whatever. The fact that they even found his car, but there was no real evidence of anyone have been, having been around is just weird to me. And it creeps me out. So as you will hear next week, your story is actually very, very similar to my Brandon Lawson disappearance story. Um, 
my story is a little more convoluted and involved, but I know personally, I am a believer that everything happens for a reason. Okay. And people have questioned me on, on that. Like, you know, if everything happens for a reason, why, what is the reason for this terrible thing happening? And with this case in particular, yes, Brandon went missing, missing, missing (laughs) Brandon went missing and obviously that's extremely hard on his his family especially his parents and uh his friends and and everyone involved but I sometimes think that things like this need to happen because without this happening Brandon's law would not have been enacted which will in the long run help way more people exactly which his mother kind of acknowledged and then you know the the folks that she brought it to to get it passed they all acknowledged that she the mom Annette was aware that this wasn't really going to help her son necessarily but the hope was that it would help others in the future so I just these parents I can't even imagine their point of view or their perspective but bless them for having the I guess, scope of the bigger picture to th- to use this as an example and to get this law passed to help other people and keep other people safe. I don't know. I mean, I don't have kids, but I don't know that I would have the same presence of mind. I would picture that I would just like emotionally collapse. And they're his parents. Yeah. His parents are brave as fuck as far as I'm concerned. And they pushed and they used their grief to to do something for other people, which is just beyond commendable. And bless them I'm not a religious person but I if they are religious or whatever like bless their hearts because they they might have already saved people in the future that they have no idea that's exactly what I was gonna say was that they could either be all consumed by their grief or they could use that emotion to uh make a an impact in the world and they chose to do that rather than just let their grief consume them yeah you know and and if that is what you have to do there's nothing wrong with that grieving the loss of a child obviously I don't have kids either I could not even imagine how hard that would be and I have no idea how I would react especially in circumstances like this where there's like no closure really like you none you don't know what happened at all it's a complete mystery I, I just keep you picturing. You almost want to just. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I, I was just gonna say. I just keep picturing my parents in the middle of the night trying to find me and being on the phone with me and saying, "Well, I'm not finding you," and just it breaks my heart just that thought. So, this idea of his parents, who bless them, like went out there at 3 a.m. and were doing everything they could to help their son, and then it turns out who knows what happened or why he was confused or you know. But I just can't imagine, and and they took it with stride and they were obviously yeah filled with grief but they didn't let that annoyance from the police get away they kept his mom kept thinking about it and then decided to do something about it which is amazing good for them so yeah you're right god forbid i mean poor brandon who knows what actually happened but if things happen for a reason these parents might have legit saved future people from from being missing indefinitely absolutely um his sister has said you know he has you know nieces and nephews that he's never met brandon does at this point because his sister's now an adult and has children Aww. 
Just a couple quick questions that I had for you, Mindy, that I don't know if you mentioned this or not, but is Brandon's law, is that something that is specific to Minnesota or is that a federal law now? Um, you know, that's a good question. I let me look through my notes really quick. I think it might be specific to Minnesota, but I might have to double check on that or I could Google it right now. But Spencerpedia could look it up. OK, well, I asked the next question. OK, so I thought I had what? that written down somewhere, though, but that's OK. Go ahead. Sorry. That's all right. He'll look it up. That's what he's here for. <laughs> um do you have your own theories after all the research that you've done as to what you think happened to Brandon? I really don't because I honestly don't know. It just, it doesn't sound like there was anybody that like he had enemies of any kind, you know? So like the idea of maybe somebody followed him like to, you know, like foul play, like that doesn't seem to factor in. I don't think it, it I think that maybe if he was that as turned around as it sounds like he was, that it might have just been a freak accident. Like he, you know, slipped or something. I, I honestly don't know. I really don't. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. I For my case that we'll be talking about next week, I have a couple of theories Ooh. of what I think happened to my Brandon. But we will cover that next week. And I think Spencer has the answer. Yeah, so it is just a state law, and my mic is way too loud. Um, it was uh, The governor signed it in. It took effect in July 2009. And then since then, four other states have passed similar laws. So that is very cool. Okay, what, what other states? It doesn't say. It just says four other states. Hmm. I can't do all the research. <laughs> Um, oh, and by the way, the person uh, who was it, Marty Seifert, minority yep. leader of the state House of Reps, um, he said that uh, I consider it one of the most important bills I authored in my 14 years. It will save lives. Good. Yeah, I talked about him. Uh, I mentioned him earlier, I guess. But yeah. yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that other states are taking that up. Mm-hmm. Or did, I guess. <laughs> there Maybe one day it'll become a, um, a federal law or national law. Right? I know. It's ridiculous. So if you're a representative who's listening to this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you're a representative. That's... I think they know what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you will hear a very similar story from me next week. Honestly, I, I wanted to break these up into two different episodes because my notes are even longer and it's even more <laughs> of like a mind fuck Ooh. of like, holy shit, like what happened to this person where they seemingly vanished into thin air. So, uh, yay, but good. <laughs> Mindy, that was great. Thank you so much. What is the number for that tip line one more time? The BCA, the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. And they they are working with police on this case. It's technically in their hands, but the Lincoln County Sheriff's Department is officially taking any sort of tips or info or whatnot. And you can call them at 507 507- Six nine four one six six four. If you have any information or found anything or anything to contribute, please call. That's the number to call. Well, thank you so much, Mindy. And I can't wait for you to hear my Brandon story next week. I think we kind of need to end this on a, a little more of a high note, though. I actually got to see my mom yesterday. Yay. I haven't seen her since Christmas, and she only lives an hour away. So she's basically 
stuck in the house. She doesn't like going out shopping and I do not blame her. And I honestly don't want her to go out shopping because I don't think she practices the safest techniques <laughs> when she leaves her house. So I prefer for her to stay inside of her condo. Um, but Spencer and I, we went out and we bought like a ton of food and supplies for her and my brother and sister-in-law. They also bought her a bunch of food and supplies. So yesterday it was really nice out and we drove down to her condo and safely dropped off supplies that she brought into her condo. And then she has this outdoor rooftop area above the um, parking Wow, she has a rooftop area she can go to? Seriously? It's not a roof. It's just a deck over the parking area. Hey. It's a, it's like a, a, a fairly good-sized patio, outdoor patio, over like a car carport. That's what I was thinking. Oh, car park? Right. Car park. Carport, car park. Both same, are good. Same thing. Um, so, yeah, and it um, had a bunch of plastic chairs out there that were covered up that we took and spread out about six feet apart from each other. (laughs) And so we all kind of sat in a circle and just hung out and talked and we brought canned wine and um, snacks. And yeah, it was the first time that my mom has seen, I think like any family in months. So I, I felt so bad. You know, I feel horrible for the people who are completely isolated and are unable to see any sort of family members at all. So it was really nice getting to see her and my brother and my sister-in-law yesterday. And, um, yeah. So, you know what, actually Sharon on that note, I do have something to add, which hope I might actually post to Instagram for the visual, but, um, I was not able to visit my parents in person, but we did FaceTime and my parents are not totally technically ignorant, but they have some, learning curves that need to be dealt with. (laughs) Um, But I don't know that we've talked about this on the show before, but my parents have a cat, Lila, who was actually a cat that Sharon and Spencer were fostering for a bit. And um, I initially wanted to take her and was unable to when she needed to have her forever home. And so then my parents, my dad just decided that they were going to take her. Wait, 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 wait. Your dad decided he was going to take her because you basically guilt tripped I did your not. parents I did. into taking her. I did not. <laughs> no, I did nothing did of the sort. Um, but totally she's did. clearly running the household now, and they are very deeply like my dad has said point blank that he's very deeply in love, and like she's they're they're great pet owners. But my dad is a giant teddy bear, and he just knows that when the time comes you know, inevitably we all are going to die, including your pets. And that's always hard. And he's just was one, a, a broken heart. But when I FaceTimed them, my mom turned the iPad and said, Oh, look, there's Lila. And I very clearly interrupted cuddle time on the couch with mom and dad, because the look she gave the camera on the iPad is utterly hilarious. And so I might share that with everybody because they're doing fine and they're, they're happy and healthy and well, as much as you can be when you're in your house. But Lila is still not super thrilled with me being around because she knows that I mean something to them. And it's just very funny to be competing for your parents' affection with a cat. 
your second fiddle, as far as I'm concerned, I'm pretty sure your parents love Lila more than they love you Yeah, now. I think she's their favorite daughter. Well, <laughs> the other thing, what's so funny about Lila is that she'll, when I come over, she always gives me that look of competition. But then she's also an easy mark because, you know, I'm a cat person, so I can pick her up more easily than my parents can because they're still sometimes kind of nervous. But then she also knows I'm good for belly rubs and scritches and treats. So she'll act all tough and within five minutes I've got her like laying down next to me rolling over so I can rub her belly so it just cracks me up that like these animals have these personalities and she acts all tough but she's really just a sweetie but oh man she was not happy about about missing cuddle time on the couch let me tell you but they're (laughs) they're doing okay and they're hanging in there and they were actually watching um the dead don't die oh did they like it? My mom loves it. She was watching it a second time because my dad didn't get to see the whole thing. And so she was watching it with him. They DVR'd it. Hmm, so I was, I said, oh, you guys, I was very happy. So yeah, they've already seen Zombieland 1 and 2. They own them. That Don't I was relatively new. And they, they were as excited as I was about the fact that Bill Murray and Adam Driver say Mindy over and over because I, I get to hear my name being said by them, which is exciting. <laughs> it's the little things in life, right? It is, especially right now. Right. You have to appreciate all the little things. All right. Well, I think this is going to do it for today's episode. So thank you all for listening. And if you have any true crime stories that you want to recommend to us to read on air, we would love that. We have a lot of extra time to do research now um and also you can go to whores talk horror on instagram and follow us Uh, on instagram you can find the links to all of our streaming locations and also our patreon and be sure to check us out on twitter and facebook as well you can email us at whores talk horror at gmail.com if you want to share your favorite true crime stories ghost stories creepy stories and also you can just say hello hello and as always mindy thanks for getting creepy with us sharon you want a beer uh oh my god